welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 313, recorded February 22nd, 2020. So today we're continuing the Tipton Brothers um, Star Trek Mirror Universe series. So this is uh, Terra Incognita, which takes place after Through the Looking or Through the Mirror right. uh, miniseries. So um, it's not quite going where I thought it was going to go because no. we were only three issues in, and uh, the quote-unquote mirror universe does not really play a big factor into it like I thought it was going to. No, really, Barkley is it? Yeah, yeah. So if you remember Barkley, Barkley, Barkley stayed over after the Through the Mirror miniseries. And uh, that's so far the only link, spoiler, uh, with with the mirror universe that this series has. Yeah, and another spoiler: <laughs> some of these stories doesn't have all that much to do with him either. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not even he's in. Not, I mean, he's in every. One. He's in every one, and he has a little role in the narrative, but for the most part, yeah, it's just like it's a, not about him. It's like a normal next gen episode. Exactly. He just happens exactly. to pop in once or twice. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, it's not what I was expecting. Nope. But I still like it. I, I really well, feel like, like watching episodes of the old show. I love it. Yeah. 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 It's it's still good. It's just unexpected. Right. Right. Just I thought it was going to be hardcore mirror universe and it's going to different not. Way. It's not. Not a bad thing. No, 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 not at all. Um, if you can figure things out, although quite frankly, some of the stories, it was like, they were pretty predictable, but, um, I mean, what happened, but it was still good. Right. It's just, it was a little predictable, but it was, it was good seeing Troy, uh, you know, get, get the, uh, main storyline person. Right. Something other than crashing the enterprise. (laughs) (laughs) Or just saying, captain, I can't really read them. I don't know why. Okay, thanks, Counselor. <laughs> now let's do something about this without her. Yes. <laughs> so when we uh, when we thought about doing this series, there's also a one-issue Mirror Universe Tipton Brother story um, set in Voyager. So uh, these six plus one, that, that equaled seven. So we were talking about how to do seven issues over the course of three episodes. So what we're going to do to next week and the week after is briefly talk about how the mirror universe factored into a novel, which is Star Trek Next Generation Dark Mirror, and also a video game, which is Star Trek Shattered Universes, or Shattered Universe. So um, so you're going to get a little uh, little taste of what the mirror universe was going to be like for those three, those two other mediums. Um, but after reading these three issues, it's like, this is not even a mirror universe story, really. So, um, hopefully they're not too out of place next couple of weeks when we talk about the mirror universe in a game and a book. Right. And we'll see what happens in, um, four five, six. Right. You know, I, I'm sure by the end, it's going to get by the sixth issue at the very least, we're going to get a lot more mirror university. Right. Hope I so. would think. 
Hope so, because also in preparation of, of uh, getting to these issues, aside from reading the book and playing the game, I also watched uh, the Enterprise Mirror Universe episodes, and then I started on the Deep Space Nine Mirror Universes, and then I'm reading these books going, oh, I'm doing all this prep work for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm enjoying the stuff, but it's just like, man, that's not really Mirror Universe as I thought it was. Right. It's all good, though. So It's all good. Um, Speaking of all good, mm-hmm. um, again, this will post way after this happens, but we did just see the uh, Picard uh, episode five. I think it was the fifth episode. Yeah, right. uh, it was pretty good. It had some interesting revelations. So. Right. Plus a lot of little Easter eggs to uh, characters that we love from yep. other shows. Exactly. So I, I'm, we're not going to go into details in this episode, but just um, I think it's getting better, which is good. I, I, I think they're they're starting to hit a stride with this, and it helps that they're off Earth and on the on the quest. Right. So no, I up. really like it. I, right. I, I like I like the show a lot. And at the end of every episode, my wife is like, "I love this show." You know, <laughs> she's she's hardcore next generation. And always Good. has been so. Right. Um, she's digging, you know. Even if they're changing the characters or the characters are different than what she remembers them, she's she's still digging it. Or the Federation and Starfleet are different than they used to be. Right. Which I know that a lot of people online uh, are voicing big problems with that, and it's like, get over it, people. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not real. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> But some people don't want their Lily White Federation or Starfleet to be tarnished. When in reality, sometimes things happened sure. that was not, you know, 100% the shining white hero. I mean, sometimes Starfleet and Federation did things that weren't always always the absolute best thing to do, especially in Next Gen. Um, right. Well, so Deep Space Nine. At Deep Space Nine. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So okay. we're, we are going to do a special at one point where we talk about uh, the series and and uh, uh, the novelization. So by the time we post this, we'll probably have already posted that one. Right. So, although, did you notice the, the cork episode, uh, nod? The nod to corks there at the, the gambling planet? Oh, uh, no, I didn't. Yeah, so... With Dabo? Yeah, there's a, there's a shot and it shows a, a holographic Dabo as a you know the advertisement and I, okay. and I was telling my wife I was like hey look at oh, Dabo okay and then so it pans like a, like out and not only is it Dabo the name of the establishment was Corks so it what? was actually said Corks and then it had a big Dabo table so he 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 expands from Deep Space Nine at some point oh my gosh I got to go back and watch that <laughs> I did not notice that at all yeah it's it's really cool. <laughs> oh boy, I'm embarrassed. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, get started if you're ready. Please. All right. So I'll do issue number one. Uh, this was. I don't think they have titles. So uh, yeah. it's just uh, Terra Incognita issue one. Came out July of 2018. Written by Scott and David Tipton. Story art by Tony Shastine. Colors by J.D. Mettler. Letters by Neil Yutaki. Editorial assists by Chase Moratz. Edits by Denton J. Tipton. 
And then the publisher is Greg Goldstein. So there are four covers. Uh, the main cover shows uh, uh, the, a dagger way in the foreground uh, with the reflection of Barclay in it. So the wielder of the knife is Barclay. And in the background, we see another Barclay all tied up, ready to get stabbed. And this is by Tony Shastine. And then cover B is by... It's a photo cover, even though it doesn't look like a photo. It looks like it's some sort of art, but they call it a photo cover. Uh, but it's just uh, Captain Picard there on the bridge of the Enterprise D. Uh, the uh, retail incentive cover is by Elizabeth Beals, and it shows Troy and Riker and Tin Forward enjoying a, maybe a date and uh, eating some ice cream. And then the uh, other retail exclusive was by J.K. Woodward. And it shows like a painting of an evil Barclay staring at us. And then underneath him we see superimposed uh, the cast of The Next Generation and the Enterprise D. And the, uh, you know, the watercolor looking J.K. Woodward style. Alright, so the story picks up uh, where Through the Mirror left off, where the evil Barclay has stayed on our normal prime universe uh, timeline, or just universe. And uh, the evil Barclay has the good Barclay tied up in his quarters on the Enterprise D. The evil Barclay laments to his good counterpart how no one in this universe takes the name Broccoli, I mean Barclay seriously. And he's going to change all of that. Later, the evil Barclay goes through the daily routine with of this universe's Barclay. Which includes feeding Data's cat and other tasks that he thinks is beneath him. Elsewhere, the main crew of the Enterprise-D is meeting with Captain Picard in the conference room. Uh, they're told that the USS Hood, it seems, is having some engine trouble and has requested the Enterprise to come and lend a hand. The USS Hood, as we all know, is an Excelsior-class starship that uh, was previously a posting for Geordi and is the ship that Starfleet offered Riker to be the captain of and is also the craft that ferried a traveling old country doctor to the Enterprise D upon her first mission back to Farpoint. Back to Farpoint. While en route to the USS Hood, several things play out. Riker and Troy enjoy a night out when Crusher joins them, and the three of them discuss the upcoming mission to help the Hood, along with uh, what the Cardassian conflicts were, and uh, they all agree that they hope that this peace conference with the Cardassians works out to their favor. Also, Evil Barclay uh, has a meeting with Guinan, and she notices that something is amiss with the engineer. And then the evil Barclay does not help matters when he does not seem to know that they only serve Synthahall. So uh, perhaps uh, Guinan is figuring it out. Later, Jordy briefs evil Barclay and Ensign Sonia Gomez about what is needed. Barclay is dismayed that Jordy spends all his time addressing Gomez and almost completely dismisses Barclay. The three engineers beam over to the hood, where they meet Captain DeSoto and their, and his chief engineer, Lieutenant Mora, who, in this comic, will be played by Jimmy Smits. 
Also in the transporter room, for some reason, is the Vulcan ambassadors. They are upset with the delay of the mission and request the captain to transfer them to the Enterprise so that they can continue on without the hood. Later in engineering, Jordy and Gomez are puzzled by the problem with the warp core losing power. Evil Barclay immediately knows what the issue is since they have the same problem on his Excelsior-class ships in his universe. He tries to tell Jordy, but Jordy only listens to Gomez's idea to start a long string of pointless tests. Hours pass, and Captains Picard and DeSoto, along with the Vulcan ambassador, pay a visit to engineering to see how the progress is going. Jordy is in the progress of sharing the bad news when Barclay sees his chance. He triggers a coolant link lockdown, forcing everyone to try to escape. He then bravely runs back into the steam and performs the quick change that he knew would work. Suddenly the alarms are off and the engines are back up to full power. He tells the captains the long explanation of what causes it and what he did to fix it. He then tries to say that he tried to tell Jordy when they arrived, but he wouldn't listen. Instead of denying it, Jordy fully admits that he did not let Barclay talk back then. Back in Barclay's quarters on the Enterprise, the evil version flaunts to his doppelganger about he is a better Barclay in this universe than the real one ever was. And then he states that he has to go out with a dinner with the lovely Ensign Gomez. To be continued. Reg, you dog, you. Going for Gomez. Yep. Yeah. I guess it helps when you're the hero. Uh, and save everything. Oh, you're thinking that's yeah. the only reason why she uh, she's going out with him? Oh, yeah. Well, that and he's he's showing a new side of himself. He's He has uh, confidence. Um, I, I think people like that in other people. They find that attractive. Sure. Competence, it helps. <laughs> and I mean, not only that women may like that in men, but I think men like that in women, too. I mean, I think that's an attractive thing for both sexes, as opposed to somebody who has no confidence and is bumbling and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I love... Sonia Gomez from her was she only in one episode? I don't remember, but I, I don't I, remember. I always liked her, but I, she I remember also the character, was kind of a bubbling character too, right? I don't like, recall. A little nervous, and I think she spills a drink on Picard at one point, things like that. Yeah, but she got over that apparently. Right, right. Yeah, because I don't remember the de- I remember her from Next Gen, but I don't remember the details. So you remember more of the details of her than I do. Did she start to? Uh, Gain her confidence a little bit in yeah, that episode? probably. I don't really remember. Because okay. Jordy seems to be, uh, you know, very confident uh, in her abilities in this particular area. Right. Yeah, no, he's he's all... And then I thought, well, maybe he's, like, hitting on her. But then I was like, oh. well, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I think you're reading too much into it. <laughs> but uh, but I always liked the actress who played her, Sonia mm-hmm. Gomez, and, and the artist nailed her here i mean she yeah, looks just like did a good job did a good but job. uh but you know who she is right the the actress no she was uh, in something else. yeah she was in the pilot episode of the the flash the 90s flash which is where i first oh, really? really knew her but that's oh, not okay. her most famous role and as soon as i tell you her most famous role you're gonna be like oh yeah i've seen her a lot okay go ahead 
she was in Total Recall. Okay. She played the three boob chick. Oh, <laughs> oh you're kidding me. No. I maybe because I wasn't looking at her face that much. <laughs> I don't remember. Well, she had ma- a lot of makeup on. Right. I mean, besides besides the fake chest, right? But she had a lot of makeup on her face, also, right? Uh, yeah, I think she was wearing a wig and stuff, right? And she wasn't yeah. her quirky normal self like she is in the Flash episode and the uh, and the, the Next Generation. Oh, she got typecast, except yeah. for the the three breast uh, breasted woman role. That was a breakout role for her. Yeah, that was a I, I really. I I'm, I uh, I did look her up on uh, IMDb, and uh, she hasn't had a ton of work, so I don't oh, know good. what happened. She has not. So oh, she hasn't. No, oh. no. Well, that's a lot of people. I mean, yeah, from '91 to 2007, nothing. So I don't know if she just took a decade off or. Yeah. Right. But uh, but yeah, before then she was in a bunch of little TV roles and stuff. She was in Lethal Weapon, so I guess that's a big movie. Yeah. Well, how big a role does she have? I don't know. I, yeah. I, I know her name, Dixie, but uh, I don't know how big a role it was. Oh, okay. Hopefully more than having three boobs. Yeah, that was kind of a brief one. <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, I always liked her um, when she was on Next Generation and, and The Flash. So, um, right. I was glad to see her uh, pop up in the comic book because as far as I'm concerned, this is her first comic book appearance. I don't remember. That's the first one I remember yeah. seeing Brent, but so, so needless to say, I was happy to see her. Cool. So speaking of drawing people, um, and and how people are drawn, uh, the Jimmy Smith's comment about yeah. the engineer. Do you, uh, not, do you not agree of the hood? Oh, in certain panels, he completely looks like a young Jimmy Smith. Sure, because because sure. I'm kind of used to him more from the Star Wars appearances and things like that. Right. Or or when he was in that lawyer show. Uh, yeah, but, LA Law or whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. Uh, but but this looks almost maybe well, definitely younger than the man he played in uh, in Star Wars movies. But uh, yeah, but I want to comment that there's one panel where. That character and Jordy are shaking hands in the transporter room, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a maybe a three quarters kind of profile view. And I'm looking at that, and I'm saying, "That's not Jimmy Smith's. That's John Larroquette with fake, fake beard on." John Larroquette. <laughs> so Larroquette. John Larroquette, who is no stranger to Star Trek. Uh, no, he played uh, the uh, Klingon, Klingon in Star Trek Three. Uh, one of the Klingons, exactly. Right. He was right. the helmsman or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, I guess I could kind of see it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I guess from the different angles. But he just reminded me a bit of uh, Larroquette. Yeah, I see it, but but man, he had a, he looked like Jimmy Smith everywhere else. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, I even looked it up to see if maybe Jimmy Smith had played a character in Star Trek and this was supposed to be him, but... He did not come up in my uh, my search. Okay, well. But what about uh, DeSoto? Is that supposed to look like a real person? Because he's the one, uh, art-wise, would be my only complaint. Because sometimes he looks really weird. Uh, uh, Captain DeSoto? Yeah. Well, he, I, I yeah, I think he, it, I think he's supposed to be the actor. Um, I, he definitely is an actor that I recognize, and I believe he was 
I think I've seen him in Star Trek before. Oh, okay. And I and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, when did we did we see Captain DeSoto? Because there was a DeSoto on Taz, which of course is a totally different person. But um, did we see a Captain DeSoto in Next Gen? Because if there was one, I bet you dollars to donuts that's the actor who played him. Oh yeah, he was uh, Captain Robert DeSoto. He was in an Encounter at Firepoint. Oh wow! Oh, oh. So when when he dropped off uh, McCoy, McCoy, we maybe. actually saw him. I guess so. Oh, okay. I don't remember that, but uh, yeah, that could have been. But yeah, he, he's a recognizable actor, an actor yeah, that's been Michael in things. Kavanaugh. Ah, so you looked him up. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it parts his. I mean, there's this one thing where he's reacting to the, the Vulcan. Uh, ambassador referring to uh, the hood as crippled and he's like crippled and he's just got a really funky look on his face right like, and then and like like half of his face is like starting to to, to 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 roll off his head but it's the next panel after that that's even weirder when he has his hands up going no 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 ambassadors let me escort you to back to your quarters he yeah looks like a baby face with this giant forehead i don't know what's going on <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of got a double chin going or something yeah it's just like and like the side of his head looks all like protruding. I, I don't know. That that yeah. was the picture that I was just like, man. The rest of the artwork I thought was really good in this issue, but not that. I don't. I don't get that one. Right. Well, he definitely seems to have a weird eye. His both of his eyes are not the same in multiple panels. I mean, look at the next one where he's talking to Jordy. Um, his eyes don't match. It just looks weird. Yeah. Right. Anyway. And and the one at the top of the page, top right of the page, the eyes don't look like they match either. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, looking at the actors, his eyes look pretty normal, so I don't know what's yeah. going on there. Yeah, maybe he was trying – yeah, if, if the artist was trying to capture what he saw in the photos or maybe from video right. uh, from the original actor, that would make sense. But, yeah. Okay. <sighs> hmm. So uh, So what else about the uh... – so he's the captain of the hood. Did you uh, did you like seeing the hood? <laughs> Prompting me very well. Uh, like we talked about before we started recording, um, the hood is really. I think there's only one panel that really shows it well, and if it does show it someplace else, I don't think it shows it well. But the one panel I'm thinking of is where you kind of get an undershot of her like behind a little bit and under and it's all like really dark uh darkly lit so it it looks like it's a black ship almost uh, on parts of it but it isn't um and i'm looking at this this depiction and it's like huh there's multiple things that are inconsistent uh compared with other excelsior class ships um e- even different from enterprise uh, b which did have some slightly different things in the secondary hull from the other Excelsior ships. I think it actually looks better uh, than, than I think the Enterprise B, the changes they made makes it look a little better. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I found, I, I searched the, way, the web and I found uh, a photo of a similar angle uh, of, of the Excelsior. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I assume this is not a refit ship, but I may be wrong. Uh, some kind of refit? Anyway, I, I tried to look up refit, Excelsior class refit, and I couldn't find anything. Um, so whatever. 
Uh, but anyway, looking at it, there's multiple things that are that are inconsistent. Uh, may I may I let you know about them? I would love it. Okay, so the nacelles are not right at all. So the nacelles look a lot closer to the Enterprise E than anything. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Right, and um, not the right time period for the E. <laughs> so okay, so that's there. Also, the nacelle pylons, they are unique. I mean, I mean, maybe there's another starship that has pylons just like that, but I've got a lot of uh, starships, you know, like little uh, eagle moss and other kinds of uh, models of them, and I'm looking at all of them, and I'm trying to find a match. And they're curved, so... Uh, and they're they're kind of bulky. There isn't a lot of um, they're kind of kind of straight up and down. There's a little bit of an indentation in the back of the nacelle, a little bit of a curve to it, but not that much. But the overall, it is it is cur is a curve kind of thing. So it's not like a ninety degree thing like the Enterprise C has. Um, and it's not a straightforward kind of pylon. Uh, without much of a curve, which you see in a lot of uh, ships. Um, it's almost, the closest thing is kind of the Enterprise D, but the Enterprise D, though it isn't a 90-degree angle, it has kind of a curving 90-degree angle to the pylon where it comes up underneath and uh, snaps into the nacelle. Anyway, if you look at it, I, anybody, if you're looking at it, you'll know what I mean. But that's not right. And then uh, the secondary hull on the Excelsior class is really long. I mean, really long. I mean, they made it, and they have it's of course flat. So I think they wanted to make it look a little bit like an aircraft carrier. That might have been part of the uh, design idea they had behind it when they originally came up for it with the uh, what was it? was it Star Trek three? Yeah, Star Trek three. We first saw it. Mm -hmm. um, so, and this is not. It's like. It looks like maybe 25% of the length is cut off, at least. So a much shorter secondary hull. Um, the impulse engines are very prominent in the original Excelsior. I mean, it really sticks up and sticks back. And they're much more integrated into the secondary hull, or the primary hull, uh, with what they, they drew here. Um, I think the saucer section probably looks pretty much right. And it looks like maybe the neck is right, although it's kind of hard to tell a little bit. You know how it has that kind of thick neck um, between the uh, secondary and primary hulls? Right. Uh, so so, so that, that part looks like it's probably right or consistent, but the rest of it kind of not. What do you think? Uh, no, I agree with you. Um, I mean, I, the neck part doesn't look like it has the little ridges that... Um, Mm -hmm. that the Excelsior normally has. Yeah. And I yeah, did, it, it, it does look kind of smooth, now yeah. that you mention it. Um, I never liked the Excelsior. I always thought it was incredibly silly looking. I, I, <laughs> I just did not have the same style and finesse that the Enterprise and other Federation ships had. Right. Um, so, I, I, like I said, I never really liked it. I was really disappointed when Enterprise B was announced and it was, you know, the Excelsior. And I was right. like, yeah, that, that stinks. Um, but, <laughs> I will, in saying that, 
Uh, I've recently been playing the Star Trek Shattered Dimensions or Shattered Universe, and uh-huh. you play on the Excelsior, right? You're 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 a, a, a crew member on on Sulu's ship, and when they show you flying around the Excelsior and stuff, I'm like, oh man, this ship does actually look cool. So I don't know if they if it's just you know being part of a ship, you know, you're flying around the Excelsior versus just seeing it on the screen, but. Uh, but no, I've never been a big Excelsior fan. So I, I, I didn't like why they... I don't know why they brought it up so much in The Next Generation. I mean, you would think that by then, you know, the ship's 90 years old or 80 years old, that uh, mm-hmm. they wouldn't still be flying around. But they bump into quite a few Excelsiors in the, they do. In the time frame. Exactly. So it's a ship... It's an old ship by next-gen time frame, but, you know, there's a lot of them around. Um... I, on first first seeing the Excelsior, I was like, ugh. I wasn't that crazy about it either. But it's kind of grown on me over the years. And I kind of liked it in Generations when I saw Enterprise B. I kind of liked it. I like what they did to improve the looks. Because I think the secondary hull, it's kind of very smooth and kind of rounded. Um, at least they broke that up a little bit with the Enterprise B version. So I, I like that. And then when I actually got a, um, uh, what's what's that manufacturer that makes the big ones, the models? Uh, the uh, Di- Diamond or yeah, uh, Art yeah, Asylum. Those, Art Asylum. Those those guys. I finally got an Enterprise B. B not not you know maybe five years ago or something like that. Uh, it was on Amazon, so I, I picked one up and. And when I got it and put it up and everything, I was like, I liked it even more. Because okay. I, 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 I do kind of like it. It looks looks, looks kind of cool. But it took a while to, to, to grow on me. Hmm. It was not an immediate love that ship like the Enterprise E. I love the Enterprise E. <laughs> now, did you, did you get the Eagle Moss version? Of the Enterprise E? Uh, of the Enterprise B. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, do I? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I got it. Yep, yep. I got to get all the Enterprises. Come yeah, on. you would think. Yeah. And again, it's very long. The secondary hull is incredibly long, quite frankly. It's almost stupidly long. Yeah, I don't But... <laughs> it's <Yeah>. just flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, and the, um, the nacelles are very, very, bl- <clears throat> You know, it's just very straight back. It's just, yeah. You know, it's not it's not tapered or anything like uh, like what we started seeing it with the Enterprise E and stuff, which makes sense. It was further back in time, but sure, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, so that's enough of that panel. Yeah, decision. we probably took way <laughs> too much time on that. Um, I, I thought it was weird that the ambassadors um, were in the transporter room when the engineers beamed over. Thought that was, I thought that was uh, a little forthcoming. Well, they why, were trying. Why would they show captain, up? Right? What? They were trying to talk to the captain. Right, but I mean, they should just be barging into places. I think so. When I, he's I busy. So I don't know, but then when he mentioned, uh, "Hey, why? Why doesn't the Enterprise take us?" I I was reading this, going, "Well, that makes sense." Yeah. Yeah. Might as well. So, uh, and yeah. yeah, yeah, especially since they keep talking about, I mean, a lot of this issue is talking about how 
horrible the Cardassian conflicts have been so far and how right. they're wanting to get these peace talks done. So, yeah, when I was reading this, I was like, man, that does make sense. Yeah. Well, and also they're talking about po- post uh, Wolf 59, uh, 359, and uh, them being in a weakened condition. Uh, Starfleet, that is. Right. So Which really is funny, important because that was also a big player in uh, Star Trek uh, through the looking through the mirror, right? So in the mirror universe, they were the Federation was really or the Empire was really hurting, mm-hmm. and they were wanting to uh, they were wanting to get the Enterprise D because the the Federation was in such bad straits. Yeah, or the not the Federation, the the Empire, right? So it is kind of funny how it is kind of mirror. Where where the Federation was at that point too, mm-hmm. and uh, wasn't insurrection. I mean that that one took place during the Dominion War, right? Or at the very at the very end of the at the okay. it was over. So between the Borgs weak, uh, weakening the fleet and having to take on the the Dominion, they had to uh, Starfleet was doing some cutting corners, right? But but again, they're in a like this story. They're in a, a weakened position, and they need to put the best foot forward to be able to uh, accomplish something that hopefully keeps everybody cool, so we don't get into any more conflicts because we don't want conflicts right now when half the fleet's decimated. So right, yeah. I was kind of wondering if these peace talks were how Bajor eventually got liberated and the Federation took over Deep Space Nine. Mm, yeah, that would make sense. But they don't ever bring it up, and especially in this issue. But right. I don't remember it in any of the other ones either. But that would make sense. No, it makes total sense because yeah. the time frame fits perfect too. Right, right. <sighs> Anything else on this issue? Yes, I have a couple of things. Please. I thought the uh, cat routine, the little light-hearted cat routine, where. Uh, Evil Reg was expecting a saber-toothed monster to feed, and he gets a purring little kitty cat. I thought that was kind of kind of cute. Yep, kind of yep. cute. It's a nice little bit of humor. I like that. Um, I was definitely feeling at the beginning of this where Reg just kept evil. Reg kept uh, good Reg all tied up and stuff. It's like, man, I, that's really short-term thinking. Uh, if he wants to, if he wants a fresh start in the in the new universe. Uh, he really needs to get rid of Reg. And then uh, I was thinking, well, what would he? How would? How could he get rid of him? And now this is before I read the the later issues, uh, where th- he did have Reg in a in some kind of a stasis container. Uh, because, come on, just keeping him tied up the whole time while you're off doing an eight hour shift. I mean, what are the odds that that Reg could do something? Maybe he got back getting out. Anyway, I was just thinking about different ways to get rid of him. So, uh, how could you transport Reg into space and erase the transporter logs? That would be a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, might not be easy. Uh, he could figure out how to fight a phaser set to disintegrate without setting off internal sensors, because don't alarms go off when you know when the internal convenient. sensors when pick it's back. convenient to the what is convenient. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but there are internal sensors, and if you shoot off a phaser, it's supposed to pick that up. Anyway, but that right. would be another way to do it. And then uh, th- those are high-tech ways. Uh, maybe primitive methods, like done, like we could do now, is uh, dumping the body into a vat of acid. 
Which or they probably AG. have just fats of acid there on the Enterprise D. Well, <laughs> you don't know. But, you know, obviously you're not going to get that at a local uh, uh, <laughs> chemical supply store when you're on a ship. But you know, who knows? Well, there's obviously uh, the, the lowest tech method. Eating uh, what? What? Eating him. Oh, my God. I didn't go there. <laughs> now, I did, I did list uh, chopping up the body into smaller, more easily disposed of bits. <laughs> he says that he can't kill himself, so... Well, I, he said that finally at the end, yes. <laughs> but that was, this is at the beginning of this issue, you know, where he's got them all tied up and he's going off for his eight-hour shift or whatever it is, and Reg is just sitting there tied up. It's right. like, man, that, that's, that's risky. Yeah, anyway. Um... Anyway, uh, oh, uh, don't they have an arboretum? <laughs> got to what? Plant the tree on top of it. Well, I mean, you, you you chop them up, and you you know you kind of spread them around the arboretum. <laughs> it's it's murder by numbers, don't you know? As many cameras as you you have now, I would think the Enterprise has <laughs> lots of cameras that would notice you carrying like around that. body pieces. Well, you wouldn't do it in the open. Anyway, uh, anyway, gave many, way too much thought, kid. I know, I know. It's probably a, it's a little well, creepy. I, well, I was kind of thinking what they did in Breaking Bad, which is the the acid thing, and then uh, my wife always is watching the uh, you know the true uh, like detective the, or you know uh, you know the the real the real crime stories. Sure. And then they you know they have a narrator and you know they go sometimes they interview people blah blah blah. And there's all kinds of things where people are doing stuff like this. So it's like, I just hope my wife doesn't ever want to kill me because she probably has so many ways she could do it. She knows how. She knows how. Anyway, so I, I, I try to t- treat her very well. Um, th- was it there? Hmm. So the Hood's engines needing the Enterprise's staff to help them out. Wasn't there a familiar premise as that with another, within another story, a comic book maybe? Oh, that, that that whole premise seems like something very familiar to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't remember. Okay, okay. Um, I so talking about that. Um, I really mm-hmm. liked how Reg knew what the problem was and uh, oh, figured it out. Right. And and then I liked how he tried to tell Jordy. Jordy wouldn't listen, and then. Uh, when he brought that up later, Jordy didn't try to weasel out of it or anything. Right. I, I thought that was great. I really liked how confident he was, and and they gave an explanation as to you know the old the old Empire using older ships. And that's why he was familiar yep, with a lot it. more older ships, yeah. and, and not and not having not being a slave to a maintenance routine, <laughs> right? Like 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 our um, yeah. Well, if you're not going to maintain, it's like a car. If you're going to go and, you know, do all the recommended uh, oil changes and, you know, alignments and whatever, then your car is probably not going to fail. You're going to, you know, fix more things ahead of time. Right. Uh, but if you're not going to do that, then, then you're going to find out all those, uh, those failure points a lot more likely. So I think that made total sense. I agree. Plus, it makes sense that there has to be less people in the mirror universe than there are in the prime universe. They do seem to be killing each other they off kill a lot. Each other off a lot. Yeah, to yeah. get promoted, you just kill the guy in front of you. Right. So I agree. That's why I always, you know, call BS when uh, 
the same same people exist in both universes because mm-hmm. at some point your ancestor would have been killed by you know sure. somebody who wanted his job mm-hmm. and so therefore you don't exist so why why does everybody exist in, this, in both universes I agree with that point so because especially in the Enterprise episodes they killed off quite a few of the main Enterprise cast members um, in the Mirror Universe so you're just like so how does that play out for the rest of the mirror universe then? There is right. no Archer or anybody like that. Exactly. So how did they end up? Because we know, or or, the, or there, or those are different. Are those different mirror universe instances? No, uh, that just have to be close because by the time you get to the next gen ones and Deep Space Nine ones, I completely agree with you. Everything seems kind of. Similar. I mean, they they ended up in in similar places, with right. similar people, but the same people. Right, same people. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I agree. So that's all I have to say about this one. Uh, my last comment is that I like that uh, Arx, or at least his species, oh, kind of showed up. He was in the, the transporter chief. Exactly. So uh, he didn't seem to have the third arm. I even zoomed it in to see if you could see the third arm, but. Uh, but it does seem like he's the same species, though, as, yep. as far as his the face, face is the same, skin tone and stuff. And it looks like he might have three legs because his stance is really wide. Right. But uh, but I don't it's see not a third as, arm. Being being behind the console, it's not as easy to tell. Right. So that was my last comment. Cool. Okay, let's do number two, issue number two, Terra Incognita, and this one was published August 2018, and. I think everybody's identical. Uh, maybe colors are different. Uh, color by Fran Gamboa. Uh, oh, uh, Carlos Nito did the art. Was that different? I don't know. Uh, but other than that, everybody's the same. Yeah, that's different. Uh, yeah. So everybody else is the same, so we'll keep... I won't repeat those. Two covers. Cover A features Counselor Troy trying to stop a shouting argument between uh, a Cardassian and a Vulcan. Cover by Tony Shastine. Cover B is a photo cover featuring Counselor Troy standing on the Enterprise D bridge um, in a very similar way as issue issue one had Picard, I think. So it's kind of like the same pose, but they just with each issue they just swap different um, members of the crew. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, there are more than just two. Actually, there's four. So. Retailer incentive cover A features Geordi working on Data through the interface port on the side of Data's head, and that cover is by Elizabeth Beals. The retailer incentive cover B features Troy, a Cardassian woman, and a Vulcan man, all apparently stranded on a planet's arid surface with a crashed shuttlecraft in the background. Troy is holding a tricorder and looking worried. Cover by J.K. Woodward. Captain, Captains Picard and DeSoto bring their friendly fencing match to an end, with DeSoto the clear winner. As they wind down from their exertions, DeSoto talks Picard into taking over the last leg of transporting the Vulcan delegates to the peace talks. The main justification is the Enterprise-D makes a greater show of force than the older hood. 
The show of force is important given the depleted state Starfleet finds itself in after the ship and crew losses at Wolf 359. Picard agrees and begins prepping his crew while DeSoto prepares to transport the Vulcan diplomats over. The lead negotiator explains to Troy and Picard how complex the protocols have been to get the Cardassians into the same room with them. They explain that they will rendezvous with the Cardassian Galore-class battleship Racknock in orbit over Telvina 5. From there, the combined diplomatic teams will transfer to a shuttle that will transport them from Telvina 2, where the negotiations will proceed without the presence of either warship. Picard objects to leaving the negotiations team without immediate protection of the Enterprise, but concedes to the negotiated plan. In the shuttle hangar bay, Reg briefs Troy and Picard on the preparations and process Troy and the Vulcans will carry out and introduces Lieutenant Bolger, the pilot assigned to their shuttle. After telling them all the negotiators must be unarmed, Reg makes a comment about not wanting to be caught near a filthy Cardassian without a phaser. In reaction to Picard and Troy's shocked looks, Mirror Reg attempts to make a joke out of it. The shuttle departs the Enterprise and docks with the Cardassian ship. The two Cardassian diplomats come aboard the shuttle with few words, much to Troy and the lead Vulcan diplomat Hendrick's surprise. On board the shuttle, the lead Cardassian diplomat introduces herself as Karen and her assistants, Doran. After insulting Troy and Lieutenant Bolger, Karan sits down and makes herself comfortable. They arrive at Telvina 2 and they start the descent. But on the way down, they experience wind shear and systems malfunctions that lead to a very rough landing. The shuttle is totaled and Karan starts to accuse the unconscious Lieutenant Bolger of being incompetent. The lead Vulcan, Hendrike, defends her by saying if it were not for Bolger's piloting expertise, they would all be dead. So begins the team building. Of the six people on the ship, the three senior personnel are uninjured, and the other three are very injured. They blow out the back hatch of the shuttle and find they are in an uninhabited desert, no help in sight. The planet's natural interference patterns that prevent transporters from working also prevent their comms from reaching the base. They must hoof it to that base. Meanwhile, data reports the shuttle's transponder signal is completely gone. At least that much should be getting through Telvena's 2's natural radio interference. As Picard is pondering next moves, the Cardassian ship returns with shields up and hailing angrily. Gull Rakar angrily tells Picard the shuttle has disappeared and his people had better be unharmed. Meanwhile, on the planet, Troy is walking with the two senior negotiators and playing peacemaker as the Cardassian insistently complains uh, and the blaming starts to chafe the Vulcan's hide. They are attacked by two big purple creatures suddenly. Hendrik pushes the Cardassian Karan aside and takes a deadly spike to the chest. Troy pulls out a small phaser and kills one attacker as Karan 
produces a small disruptor out of her boot and shoots the other. They bandage up Hendrike, uh, fashion a sled to carry him on, and proceed to the base. Another creature comes up from the ground and almost pulls the unconscious Hendrike underground. Troy leaps to pull him free while Karan shoots the new assailant. They are back on their way finally and come to the solitary base. Later, Troy reports to Picard they are safe and retrieved the injured from the shuttle. They need the Enterprise to pick up Hendrike, whose injuries are too severe for the base's limited medical facilities. That conversation ends as Gull Dakar hails Picard. The captain takes the call, listens to the Gull's derision over the shuttle crash. Picard responds, proposing that the negotiation violation of Karan's disruptor and his ship being in the planetary system when it should not have been can be left out of official reports if they can all proceed with the negotiations in the spirit of mutual cooperation. The Gull's bluster gone, he agrees with Picard's proposal. The end. And peace forever. Yeah, right. So Picard um, turns the other cheek. However, puts this, uh, you know, applies the uh, thumb screws to him, basically saying, you know, shut up and we can all be quiet about your transgression. So an excellent way of handling it. Right. Because ultimately fighting him more is not going to help anything. And then just being a wimp about it is like, oh, come on, you're not going to do that. Uh, this way, you get everybody to, to play nice. So that's good. Good good move, Picard. Right. Yeah, so uh, the, uh, the the poor Lieutenant uh, Boyger, however you pronounce her name, uh, she flies the ship just about as well as Troy does. <laughs> Straight into the dirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so wind shear? Wind shear. Right. Okay. Okay. I, I thought wind shear was something that, of course, is wind-induced, where suddenly a plane will lose lift under its wings. Right. Um, or, or the lift is, is compromised. Um, I don't think a shuttle uses lift. It's got, like... Anti-grav like, or something. Exactly. It's got anti-gravity something or others, and, uh, you know, and rocket engines, whatever, impulse engines, whatever, um, you know, so I don't know, eh, whatever. But, so, I don't know, it just seemed like a very convenient thing. But right, and it, whatever. Just, it just seemed funny that it was, like, the next page after the Cardassians are, like, belittling her about her piloting skills. Yeah. When they had no reason to, and then all of a sudden, this happened, and I was just like... How did they know that she was going to be an incompetent pilot? <laughs> well, was it, wasn't she calling her calling her competency into question just because she was young? Right. So she wasn't old? Okay. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, so then I really hate it. That's why I hated it. I was like, well, they, they did kind of justify her, those comments at the beginning. I yeah. don't know. I just, that whole part just confused me. Right. I mean, I, I mean it was well. the show that the woman later... Um, stood up for her, stood up for the pilot, uh, you know, after they crashed. But, uh, but yeah, that beginning part and the fact that they did actually crash just, I was just like, 
not not understanding. Yeah, but it, what purpose? It okay. Served. Well, they had the purpose was they had to show what a doofus uh, the Cardassians are. Uh, you know, they just love conflict. They're jerks. Right. Um, they had to establish that they were that they were bad people. That they were a pain. So they had to be the bad guys. You had to hate them. And then when they predictably came around at the end, because they have this common goal of survival. I mean, I, I have seen this was so pre- the whole talk about predictable. This whole thing was very predictable. Um, you know that they were going to go through some kind of survival thing, and then in the end, they have mutual respect and they're able to come to some kind of agreement. Okay, great. Right. We know that's going to happen. Right. Um, although I must say, uh, action hero Troy, I was not expecting that. Right, or the Starship Trooper-esque uh, like <laughs> bug yes! impalements. I mean, yes! the, the poor Vulcan, he, he gets run through. Oh, you ain't kidding. So so these things are like, I mean, so they kind of have, they're purple, and they've got uh, scorpion tails or something. Right. And, and they're insectoid, oh, uh, I guess? They, that's what I called them in my in my Right. Cases. Okay. But they're... They they look like they can walk on two legs, right? They, they look humanoid in a, in a fashion, but they have like these whip like tails coming out of their back. I mean, it's not just one tail. It seems like they have like maybe two out of uh, out of each other backs. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe four. Yeah, they okay. So they have they have two arms and two legs, and then they have at least it looks like I think maybe four. Yeah, yeah four right. tentacle things coming out of their back. Yeah, so it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Spider-Man. Uh, Dr. Uh, Octopus? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly, right. Or, or when Spidey has the, uh, what, Iron Spider right. outfit thing, whatever. Yeah. But but yeah, I, I guess Doc Ock would be more appropriate. Yeah. Anyway, they look really nasty. Really nasty. Yep, and that poor guy, he, he saves the Cardassian, but he, I mean, it, he gets run through. You can see oh, it yeah. coming out of his back. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, so it's deep. It is in deep. Yeah, the, that was going to be a mortal wound when you see that. Come on. So, but yeah, I did and, like Troy jumping into the hole to to oh pull him God. out and blast the the bugs. Yeah, and and you saw the way she did it. I mean, it looks she looks like a skydiver. Right. Oh yeah, she was she was all in. <laughs> oh yeah, and she and she's got like her hands up and her, and her fingers out like she's going to attack. And I and I gotta say, I mean, if you jump into a hole that way, you're going to end up snapping your neck or something. Because what are you going to land on? <laughs> well, and the way they drew her with her back arch, she's like she's going to land boob first, <laughs> and that's that's not going to help anybody. Oh, that's going to hurt. <laughs> Exactly. So, I mean, yeah. Anyway. But yeah. But it, I mean, it's cool to see her in that in that role. You don't usually oh, yeah. see her as the the action hero. No, not at all. Um, I mean, she's take taken the lead and took care of business before, but I think this might be the first time where she's shooting phasers and well, okay, there were books, there were comic books where she was a little bit more uh fighty. Mm-hmm. But I think this is the most we've ever seen. Right. I agree. Yeah. Um, 
I'm I'm a little confused. I thought no one was supposed to have phasers. So the idea, or so it was, so it actually was just the diplomats that weren't supposed to be armed. Yeah, it seemed like the diplomats weren't, but the Starfleet crew, the pilot, and the and the and Troy could. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because it almost seemed like Troy. I mean, Troy was supposed to be the. What was her role? What would they call her? I mean, she seemed to be. She almost seemed to be like she was kind of a, a, a sort of sort of a part of the negotiation right. team. But what did they call her though? Um, assistant. When 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 they were first when Park Card first introduced her to the to the Vulcans, they had a specific name which seemed a little, I don't know, subservient. I don't know. Like she's going to assist you or something. I, yeah, don't, know. I don't remember. But I, I just thought it was kind of a double standard when when I was surprised when Troy had a phaser. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I didn't see it on her when she was sitting in the chair. No, and she's got the cat suit, so. It might have been on the shuttle. Maybe when she was getting out of the shuttle, they grabbed it. And I'll tell you one thing. If I'm going to go off on a little hike through a, a, a desert planet that I've never seen before, I'm taking a phaser. Right, right. That's probably That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, she's got that backpack thing she's got going. So, you know, when she grabbed that, that part of the kit was probably a phaser. But yeah, why didn't they, if they had extra phasers, why didn't they give um, give this the Vulcan and the Cardassian one on the way. Yeah, that makes sense. That would make sense to me. Because what you if the bug got Troy first? Then they'd just be screwed. Yes. Yep. Um, so I did like the Cardassians. I, I always enjoy their characters. I mean, cause well, they, you never know if they're really siding with you or if if they're not. You know, the, the, I mean, and they depict them here, too. Like, like she's kind of a jerk at the beginning, but then towards the end, maybe she's not such a jerk. But, but that could be bargaining still position. Is. <laughs> yeah, right. that's the thing. Like a Romulan, right? So, and you, you were, you, before, I think, maybe the last episode or something, you commented how uh, Cardassians are kind of similar to Romulans in the fact that you can't trust them. Right. They always have uh, little plans going on. Exactly. Yeah, so um, it seemed, it struck me as genuine, but isn't that always interesting, that it might not be genuine? <laughs> right. So really, she's just trying to uh, get her into it. But, but the thing is, she's, she wasn't going to be a delegator, a de, uh, you know, a delegator, so, or part of the delegation. So what, what, what would that have benefited them when they finally got to the base? I don't know. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but you would think that the end, at the end of this issues, you're like, oh, okay, well, the, that conference is over, you know. Mm. I, I I was kind of surprised when the third issue starts up and we're still in the midst of the conference. So yeah, they're stretching it, right? So why could the uh, the little outpost or whatever this was why why couldn't they send out a, a rescue team? Yeah, I, I mean, think because both. That Both the Enterprise sense. and the Cardassians knew that the shuttle crashed. You mm-hmm. would think that this outpost that was expecting them would have known too and sent yeah. out somebody to, to exactly send out a search party, something. Right, but they don't ever but, show anybody in there. They just show that there is an outpost, and obviously there's vehicles because they go back and pick up the people that are at the shuttle. Mm-hmm. But we don't see any of that. Right. Yeah. Well, but they they wanted it to seem more like they were on their own, right? But well, however, however much sense that makes, which 
not a huge amount, unless it was an automated place or something, specifically set up for these negotiations so nobody's there. But that seems kind of unlikely, but who knows? Right. But there's obviously uh, no medical facility because they beat the Vulcan up to the Enterprise. Or no good one. Well, minimal. Yeah. They might not even have an EMH. Uh Uh-oh. There was no EMHs in this time period? EMHs at this time period. Okay. Okay, fine. But speaking of a tie-in to Picard, I think this was good timing reminding us uh, that Picard fences. Uh, Yeah. Did we need a reminder? His – well, I thought that was handy. Um, because there is uh, an incident. What it was it the third episode, or maybe the fourth, um, where he actually has to do a little bit of uh, sword play to defend himself, at least temporarily. Um, and he also there was the scenes where he was uh, kind of doing sword fighting, sort of training with the kid. Yeah, what's the kid's name again? I forgot. Space Legolas. Le- what, who's Legolas? Space Legolas. He kind of looks like... Uh, Is that a character? No, he just looks like Legolas from Lord of the Rings, but... Okay, yeah. Okay, fine. That's, why, that's what I figured space. you were probably saying. Yeah. So, he, uh, so that he, uh, Legolas was a elf. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, did, I don't remember the names. Yeah, he does, he does look a little bit like an elf, um, but he doesn't have weird... I mean, he... Yeah, I mean, well, he's a Romulan, so the hair is a little different. Gonna, he no. doesn't have weird pointed ears. Oh, wait. Wait, he does. <laughs> <laughs> True. Okay, point taken. <laughs> That's all I have to say about this one. All right, cool. All right, well, then let's move on to issue three, which came out September of 2018. Uh, same as the other one, the art and the colors changed. So the art is by Angel Hernandez, and the Colors is by Mark Roberts. And again, there's several covers, so there is four covers again. The uh, cover A shows Jordy, Crusher, and Dr. Salar kind of running towards the right. I don't know why they're running. Uh, But this is by Tony Shastin. The cover B is the quote-unquote photo cover, even though it's not a photo, but this time it's of Jordy there on the bridge. Uh, the retail inclusive A is by Elizabeth Beals, and this shows Worf and Riker uh, performing some uh, judo training. And then the retail inclusive B is by J.K. Woodward, and it's the one that I really like, but very strange. So uh, it shows like three women with, um, I guess they're Vulcans, and they're wearing these long dresses and headdresses and things like that with their hands kind of up, their their right hands kind of up, and the palm is facing their face. So they're, uh, the back of their hand is pointing to you, the, the viewer. And then superimposed in the bottom right-hand corner is... Dr. Salar in the medical bay looking over a patient. So um, I guess the uh, the women are supposed to look like something we've seen in maybe Star Trek, uh, Star Trek the original series. Uh, like in a mock time or something? Uh, that's what I was wondering. Is that yeah. is that is that what the 
I don't know. Uh, most of these covers don't have anything to do with the story. Well, definitely this one. I mean, with the running, yeah. the running people, and the aside from Doctor Salar being in it, <laughs> and she's on the cover well, for the first. Okay, time. so so Salar being inside of the uh, the medical area that makes sense. Yeah, right. And, and, that does happen in the book. Right. But the, but but the but the three chicks. Oh no, it's you, Mount, yeah, Mount Salar. Yeah, it exactly. Makes, it, okay, it totally okay. makes sense. Okay, so it does. Ma- okay, so that one makes sense. Right. It's yeah, the, because it's the other ones that. I mean, why the judo one, and why the running one? Yeah, yeah. Those the judo one, make no judo sense. one makes no sense. The running one doesn't really make any sense. Uh, I mean, because it looks like they're on some planet or something. Right. Aside and, from all three characters are in the book. <laughs> that's that's well, that's as close yeah, as we but, get to this story. Yep. So it really only is the uh, the second retailer insect incentive cover. Right. Although we don't that, see these these. This scene never plays out with the three ladies with their arms up and stuff like that. Well, I don't at think. the well at the very end, well you haven't even done yeah you haven't done the story yet right. But. So let, let me go ahead and do the story and then we can talk about it. Let's do it. All right. So uh, throughout the book, we get lots of flashbacks. So I'm just going to uh, describe what the flashback storyline is and then give the main story. So in the flashback storyline. We uh, see a young Salar and her parents exploring a cave system. Uh, Salar nearly falls into a cavern, but her father pushes her out of the way, yet he falls in himself. Uh, He dies shortly after Salar and her mother make their way down to the bottom of the ravine. Uh, He transfers his Katra into uh, Salar's mother before he passes. And then Salar accompanies her mother to Mount Salaya. Um, or at least to the base of Mount Zalea there on Vulcan. And then eventually the mom goes up by herself to transfer his Katra to the Katra Ark there in the Hall of Knowledge. So that's that's the flashback told through several different little flashbacks throughout the story. So in the main story, in the present time, the uh, Vulcan ambassador who was mortally wounded in the last issue by the uh, insect te- uh, tentacle is now in Med Bay. Salar and Crusher are trying to come up with a way to save him, and they come up with an idea of using a cortical stimulator net. But they call Jordy to try to build one, and he tasks this to his rising star, Barclay, and Ensign Gomez. So uh, Barclay, as we know, is really the evil Barclay. Uh, He receives the call uh, to come help while he was in his quarters, monologuing to the real Barclay, who is now in a stasis tube. He rushes to sickbay with his sleeves already pulled up and ready for action. He is able to create, with ease, a um, cortical stimulator net, which they do use, and it does seem to help extend the Vulcan's life, but only for a little bit, and he eventually succumbs to his injuries. But before he passed, he transferred his knowledge and Katra into Salar. Later, the substitute Vulcan ambassador confines with Picard and Salar that the negotiations are not going well with the Cardassians. And he asks Salar to act as a liaison with the real ambassador's Katra, which is still inside of her. She refuses, stating it would be a perverse way of using the Katra in such a fashion. Later, Picard talks to Salar about his time with Sarek and that he knows something very similar, or he performs something very similar. He says that he allowed Sarek to mind meld with him, and then Sarek was able to be clear-minded during some negotiations of his own. Uh, 
Picard states that Sarek did not see this type of mind-sharing as perverse as it was done for a good reason, and perhaps the dead ambassador would feel the same way. Eventually, Salar agrees. She beams down to the conference with the Cardassians. Uh, within a short amount of time, the conference talks are all ironed out, and Salar eventually travels to Mount Selena and returns uh, his Katra to the Ark. The end. Yeah, so uh, there's a bunch of road people, you know, involved in that ceremony. Sure. So I guess one of those people are supposed to be the ladies we saw on the second retailer incentive cover. I guess. Right. But I think it, that's Doctor Salar at the end, in the in the headdress and the armbands and stuff like that, waiting to walk up the stairs. Because it's the only woman. How can you? It's the only woman. His his the ambassador's dead body's on the the oh you're about the comic book inside yeah, 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 the, comic the comic book, book. Right, okay right 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 yeah which is that's why I'm saying the cover doesn't really make sense because it looks like there's three different women but yeah. in the book the 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 times we see them going up the stairs one time it's Doctor Salar and the other times it's her mom so it's never been three women so I don't know where the other two women are coming from I don't know or is it supposed to be like the same woman in three different poses I don't know. Because uh, definitely it's the same headdress. Right. And the same, pretty much the same um, dress. Uh, the neck dress is dress. different. The, the well, they got neck things on both of them. On the cover, they got they got neck neck things. That's what I'm saying. On the cover, the three women have different neck things. Right? Because uh, the first, uh, okay. the one, I don't... the two on the right look like they have like upside down hearts in the, in the design and the one on the left doesn't. I don't know. Okay. I, I'm, okay. just, I'm just Whatever. saying maybe it's three different women, but who knows? Well, what, I'm going to guess they're three different women. Okay. But, I mean, why would they have? Why would they show Salar three times? I don't know. Okay. Well, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who we we don't know who the three people are, but we know there's at least two women in the story that have been presented in the past and currently that that did that. Right. Perform that role. Well, when Spock, when uh, Solar's mom goes up, she's not wearing that outfit. So that's just that's just a Solar thing at the end. Mm. It doesn't matter. No, I, I mean I like the cover. Out of the all the covers, it's my, by far my favorite one. Yeah, well, yeah, the other ones suck. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the the rotating one where they just have a a cutout. You know, color forms kind of character that they just stick on the Enterprise. Hey, let's use Jordy this time. So they planned, and then Worf doing some judo thing uh, by Riker. Uh, it's like, well, that has nothing to do with anything. And then, you know, Solar and Crusher running so fast that <laughs> that uh, Crusher's hair is is flowing backward like she just stuck her head out of a race car. Well, not only that, but her lab coat is like flowing exactly. behind her, like Batman's cape. Exactly. <laughs> so, what the hell is that about? And then Solar is going so fast, or the wind is so strong. Her medical bag is fl- flipping back like, uh, yeah, Crusher's uh, cape-like uh, lab coat. Anyway, weird. Yeah, yeah. Plus, and I, don't, I really plus, don't understand the judo thing. I mean, that's not in this at all, is it? Well, no. No. Okay. Well, did, did we even see Riker? No, nor Worf. Yeah, or Worf. Exactly. I don't know. I, I think it's just a stock cover. They said, well, let's do four. 
Okay. We'll use – okay, pull, pull this one out. We did this last year. Well, let's, let's, let's stick that in here. We never used it. Well, at least the random ones in the other issues have always been like a, a single scene from the show. Well, I guess last issue was uh, Jordy and working on Data's head. That was never done in the in the story. Right. I mean, did Data ever yeah, pop his head open in point. the story? No. Not in this story, no. Yeah. That, I completely agree. Totally random. Uh, almost as totally random as Reg having his sleeves rolled up. I liked it. That was funny. Well, what sense does that make? That's what he's I used mean, to. You know, in the mirror universe, they don't have sleeves. So when he's there in his quarters, he wants to be comfortable. Oh, okay. I didn't get that at all. Yeah, remember in the mirror universe, they're always showing off their guns. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another thing. Isn't... I know Broccoli was not presented in the in the earlier Mirror Universe issues as being like just like pumped like Picard was, but he was still more muscular than than our Broccoli, right? So isn't that kind of I mean, wouldn't it be a little odd, you know, him showing off his more toned arms than than Broccoli probably ever had? Not okay. not that anybody ever saw Broccoli's arms, but I mean, he's kind of a thin guy. Right. Well, they probably just assume that he's uh, channeling his holodeck uh, obsessions now in the huh. gym. He's, he's focusing right. that, that, so you've been, that... You've been energy. working out lately, Reg. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I do like how in this one, uh, doesn't he and Gomez make a date and she's like, your place or mine? And he's like, oh, definitely your place. Yeah, right. I, I did because, like that line. Because I have a frozen person inside, uh, <laughs> inside of mine. <laughs> Yeah, a good joke. Yeah. So they it sounds like they're um doing the nasty. They seem to be romantically inclined, yes. Well. Cool. Yeah, good for him. Go, there you go. Uh which is probably not unusual for evil broccoli. But and by the way, why 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 did Jordy refer to Barkley as Reginald Barclay. I will have Reginald Barclay take care of that net for you, Doctor. Well, he's trying to show him more respect since he got uh, showed up in the last issue. Well, okay. It just seemed a little odd. Yeah, it did. I mean, whoever calls him Reginald. Right. Uh, Why wouldn't uh, they just call him Lieutenant Reg Barclay? Or Reg, yeah. I mean, if you're going to be formal, you would give his rank and his last name. You wouldn't give his long name. Yeah, I mean, Crusher knows the guy. Right. I mean, <laughs> Reginald Barclay of the Earth Barclays will take care of this. Reginald Barclay the Third. Exactly. At your service. At your service. Yeah, I, I just thought it was odd. Yeah, it was. But, but you're probably right. I mean, trying to, ooh, I'm going to give Reg more respect now. I'll, I'm going to use his dorky formal first name. <laughs> So I don't know which issue it was. Maybe we missed it. Um, I did have a note where Data and Wesley are talking about mirror data. Um, I don't think it was this issue, so I somehow missed it in my in the last two issues. But um, where Wesley's asking him about the other Switching data, out, swapping out, out parts. Arms. I thought that yeah, was where hilarious. was that? I yeah, I remember. I remember that conversation. Yeah, I just don't remember where from. Yeah, I thought it was. I must have been in the second issue. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just thought it was hilarious that uh, that 
Wesley's all, ooh, have you ever thought about doing that? And then Data says, uh, you know, if I keep doing that, how long until I'm no longer me? Yeah, keep on swapping parts. Right, which um, in in the novels, which again I know aren't canon and blah, 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 there's a, um, I think it's it's based, af- I think it must be in the Shatner books. Mm-hmm. Where Shatner comes back after um, First Contact or before First Contact or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's after. But anyways, um, in it, he's talking to old Leonard. And Leonard's talking about Leonard McCoy. And Leonard's talking about how he gets all his organs are cloned from from himself. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's he's been patched together with, you know, he has his, a new heart, new kidneys, new everything. Mm-hmm. And he makes a comment... McCoy makes the comment that, you know, I've replaced every organ in me, so am I really even the same Leonard McCoy you even knew? Mm -hmm. You know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I remember, like, reading that as a kid going, oh, my goodness, that is is deep. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how deep it is, but it made an impression on me when I was a kid. Yeah. As long as your brain isn't replaced. Yeah, but you would think that. And especially if it's clone parts. Right. I mean, yeah, it's you. Let's just get over it. But then there's that whole thing about, you know, the the fisherman who loves his fishing rod and then eventually the, the spool breaks so he has to put a new spool on it and then the <laughs> rod breaks and he puts a new rod on it and then is it still even his favorite fishing pole anymore because none of the parts were ever the, the same the original ones. So <sighs> yeah. It gives you yep. something to think about. Yeah, something to think about, yeah. Well, if data would have continued to um live hundreds of years um he would have had to have been replacing parts and he did right in in his head older than the rest of his body from the um oh from time zero time zero yeah oh hmm interesting maybe because he goes back in time and then somehow he buries his head and then they pick up his head and then they put it on a body in the future but where'd the body come from i can't remember I don't know. I would have to look at Time Zero again. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I haven't seen that one in a while. Well, watching the Picard episodes, it got me thinking about that episode. Like, where'd that body come from? <laughs> <laughs> or no, no, his data's. Yeah, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not even well, part of this issue. Yeah, I I don't remember. I'd have to see the episode again. But yeah, that was that was an interesting episode when the beginning of the it was a two-parter i think right it was it was a season, uh, season finale season opener right and what uh, some miners or something find his head and then you know they call the enterprise and then they go and and look and they're saying hey you got data's head here <laughs> hey, what do you think it wasn't that how it began yep, yep. and then i forgot da- how it ended but. yeah and then data goes back in time and meets up with guinan and mark twain exactly Yes, and Guinan looks exactly the same. Right, long lived. Well, and how are they going to handle that? Because Whoopi Goldberg is supposed to be on Picard. Yeah, uh, next season. And right, and I don't know if you watch The View, but my wife does, and uh, uh, Whoopi does not look the same as she looked in uh, in Next yeah. Gen. Well, Data doesn't look the same yet. We're still we still no. buy that that looks just well. We're yeah, supposed so, to buy that that looks just like Data from Nemesis. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's also Dreamland, right? So, so watching Inheritance, which is the uh, 
mom episode, Data's mom episode. Right, right. Um, uh, Jordy does make a comment about how Data's mom, Android, has an aging program similar to Data's. And I was just like, ah, oh, so they were setting it up way back then that, uh, you know, Brett Spiner doesn't necessarily look like he did in season one. Oh, an aging program that's going yeah. to actually change his looks? So, it, yeah, so that explained why Brett Spiner oh my God. looks different over those seven years. <laughs> Who would build that? I'm sorry. Dr. Nudian Soon, who thinks of I... everything. Who would – I'm sorry. Who would bother? Anyway, um, back to this. Yep, please. So I definitely got the impression in this one that Jordy is, be- is becoming suspicious about how – Barclay has grown lately, uh, almost like a new man. Really? So, I didn't catch that. Yeah, well, he said that to Crusher. Well, I mean, but he doesn't say it in a bad way. Well, I know. Well, how do you know how he said it? I mean, there is, you can't hear an inflection. But, I mean, even if he is, even if it's not dawning on him yet, come on. It wasn't that long ago that you had this, this incursion from the mirror universe. And now one of your officers is acting like a new man. Wouldn't you think something would click? Right. Well, so he's used I, to the reset button at the end of the at the end of the story <laughs> of every episode. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I I, I have not read ahead. Yeah. Me so, either. Um, I don't know, but they're really setting this up. I think where Jordy could end up at least being suspicious in the coming issues. Well, and Guinan from the last issue. So mm, true, true. Issue one, and she always seems to have whatever magical powers are necessary for the storyline. Right. Yep. Oh yes, I can leave part of myself in the Nexus. Don't you know that? Yes. I'm yeah. amazing. Yeah. So it's going to be really sad when uh, it all comes out, and Sonia Gomez realizes that she's been shacking up with evil Barkley. <laughs> Hey, she may want to be saying, hey, I, I might want to give that uh, that evil universe a try. Uh, yeah, maybe that's why we don't see her after those few episodes she's in. She, oh, she goes could off be. To the mirror universe. There you go. So uh, the whole Katra arc thing uh, really drives home what a devastating loss uh, Vulcan would have been in the J.J. verse the Kelvin universe with, with mm-hmm. Vulcan being destroyed and mm. the whole Katra arch being mm-hmm. lost and all yep. your ancestors Katras are, are now destroyed um, you know that would be devastating to this culture yes because yeah and I and I still don't understand the state of the Katras after you die I mean, yeah, supposedly your soul gets shoved around to pe- different people's heads, and then somehow they all get shoved into some repository or something, Mount right. Soleil, whatever. Yeah. And then what? That's heaven? Uh, does, your, does your brain actually continue to exist in some, you think? Do you right. have thoughts? And or then you... What? you- then the living can come and ask you questions for guidance and things like that. And you have oh, God. the total repository of your, your your society all in one place. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You can do all that? You can. Oh, boy. I miss that. I mean, I, 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 know, I know of Mount Soleil and I know of, of the thing and everything. But the fact that you can ask them questions? 
I mean, did, so. did that happen in the TV series? In, in any of the movies? I don't know if it was ever uh, they ever actually did it in the show. I know they talk about it in Star Trek Three. Um, Sarek talks about it, but I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember how much detail he gives, mm, okay. and how much I'm, you know, implanting from all the other media that I've ingested yeah. over the years. Yeah, because I could definitely see something like that maybe coming up in one of the novels or something, sure. or maybe a comic book. Although I never remember that coming up in any of the comic books we've read. That could easily come up in a novel. Right. There's so many of them. There's so many of them. Right. Yeah, I don't know where I got that from, but that's what I always took it as. So that's why when okay. I watched the Star Trek Eleven, I was just like, "Oh my god!" And then his mom dies right after that, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Well, <laughs> not only well, we, Vulcan as a whole destroyed, but now Spock's mama. Well, exactly. I mean, you had to really crank up the devastation on Spock to have him snap, right? And display his emotions while he was kicking the poop out of Kirk. Yep. All See? Right. Yeah, it, it took care. Yeah. 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 See? <laughs> All right. So, um, I don't really have anything else. I thought it was, uh, you know. Yeah, it was I fine. I thought that Solar's dad was very non Vulcan. He was always kind of cracking jokes and dad puns and things like that. So, you yeah. acted almost human. <clears throat> yeah, we definitely didn't. We didn't talk as much about the beginning story, which showed. You know, set things up a bit. I thought that was very interesting. I enjoyed the, the that. Um, you know, they were going down into whatever that that ancient building was, or whatever, and uh, and the father dying. I, I thought all that was very interesting. That to have that example, so um, that's so that's so important to Solar, right. so relevant to Solar, so. Um, I thought it was a good story to help remind us of all that stuff because it it does come into play during the during the uh, during the issue story arc. Right, and I yeah. mean, I thought I mean, Solar's always been a non-character to me. She's just somebody in the background when yep. Crusher needs someone to talk to. Yep. So yeah, I really like that they gave her some sort of background, and you know, she doesn't do a ton in this book, but I mean, she does have a a, a moral decision to make, which I thought was a good one. I thought she, right. I thought. What little they gave her, I really enjoyed because it's more than they've ever given her any other time that I know of. Right. And although we don't see the details of it, she's able to take his Katra, uh, the ambas- the dead ambassador's Katra, and become super diplomat. Right. Which is really important, but it's like, really? I mean, it, it, okay. It really shows how incompetent the other diplomats are. <laughs> we can't do it you without the dead guy. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> and, and and he did sac- He clearly sacrificed himself for uh, the Cardassian diplomat. So she owes him big right. time. So but the Cardassian must the have really during She's... the table scenes. I don't ever see her though. Do you? I, I don't see anyone. Don't but it's all males. Oh, really? Yeah, huh. it looks like. I did not notice. And there seems to be a lot more of them. For there was only going to be two of each, and then you could cut to the shots of the table, and it's like there's five Cardassians and four Vulcans. Well, is that supposed to be her? I mean, she doesn't look very feminine, but uh, well, the person who's actually speaking—that's not her. It looks like a dude to me. Well. I mean, they all wear the same outfit. 
<laughs> but she has a yeah, very that, this guy has a very thick neck. Oh yeah. wait. They all have thick necks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was a joke. Uh, yeah, I, I got it. All right. right. Anything else? I got nothing else. Yeah, I, I, I just really. to say, I look forward to us getting back into the Mirror Universe thing in the next couple issues. Yeah, hopefully. Point. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe the whole series is just Mirror, Mirror Barkley, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. All right, so uh, next week we will talk about issues four and five of this series, and then briefly we'll talk about Star Trek The Next Generation Dark Mirror by Diane DeWayne, okay. which is interesting because it's it was I bought the book when it first came out because it was the first time The Next Generation has dealt with the Mirror Universe, so it was like, oh, you know I got to have that. And uh, it came out before Deep Space Nine ever did Mirror Universe episodes, so... Uh, they they don't fit. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> uh, when Deep Space Nine did their shows, they did not go back and read that book to see what was uh, done before. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that canon does not match up with um, what we're seeing now in the books and what we saw in Deep Space Nine. Mm. It should be fun. It should be interesting. Yes. All right. That's it. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody for joining us on the review later thank you for listening to Star Trek comic book review all Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated all music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only you can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.